good morning or afternoon as the case may be. And welcome to the first ever Parent Teacher Conference podcast. I am your host, the author of the Substack, Braden Bell. Today we are going to be doing one of the features I like to do from time to time, which I think of as Braden's book report. So I'm excited to bring a report to you on this particular book and a, an interview with a wonderful author. Jennifer L.W. Fink is the author of a new book called Building Boys, Raising Great Guys in a World that Misunderstands Males. It's a book I honestly think every parent and teacher ought to read, but a little more on that later. I started this book on an airplane and soon found myself utterly consumed and I raced through it. I now need to go back and start reading it in more depth. I had so many underlines and I kept taking screenshots of this and that, and there's so much in this book. I, I really highly recommend it right at the outset. Now, Jennifer is also the author of a wonderful Substack. It's called Building Boys Bulletin. And I would say this is easily a must read for all parents. Um, every week she highlights um, important articles, research, news that impacts boys and their parents. That said, very, very often, almost everything she writes in almost every newsletter, there's certainly applicability or interest to girls as well. So while it is mm -hmm. very focused on boys, I really think it's it's very useful for anyone, teacher, parent, um, concerned citizen. So you can find that again, that's Building Boys Bulletin. Jen is also the creator of buildingboys.net and is the co-host of a truly phenomenal podcast called On Boys, which she runs with her wonderful partner, Janet Allison. Jen is the mom of four sons, has a background as a nurse, and her writing has been published in many places and platforms. Jennifer and I met so long ago that it was actually called Twitter back then. That's how we met. And it was- <laughs> Of course, Twitter. that could have been two weeks ago, Brayden. <laughs> well, it was, it was when Twitter was wonderful and, and kind of fun still. Um, but we've stayed connected over that. And at first, that was because our writing, I think, had common themes and audiences. And so we kind of kept bumping into each other. But over the years since then, I have I've really come to consider her a wise guide, a mentor, and a friend. She was kind enough to allow me to ramble on and on and on a couple times on her podcast. And so I was excited to have her here back on my very first podcast. Now, I want to say at the outset, Jen has a really unique perspective, and I think it's critical for people to hear. Unfortunately, when we talk about boys today and their problems, it very quickly takes on a political or cultural valence. And suddenly boys become either a cudgel to kind of beat opponents with in the culture war, or more tragically, they become a casualty of the culture war. Jen's work really cuts through this. And this is one of the reasons I think she's so very important. She's not wearing a political jersey. And she's not simply a reactionary who uses concerns about boys as some kind of club to beat down her opponents or make these political points. She's a mom for boys. She's also a nurse. And so she has a background in uh, data and evaluating and assessing things. And she does that very honestly. She has no um, hidden agenda. She will tell you what she thinks. And I find that very refreshing. But Jen really does follow the data. She reads widely and is constantly scouring the internet. Now, I'll also say this, she comes at this from the more perhaps progressive side of the political aisle. Um, she's not just kind of a, again, she's not just a, this isn't just kind of a reaction or a new battle for her in the culture wars. In fact, if you read her writing, you will discern her deep concerns for 
things like gender equity, um, fighting misogyny, preventing sexual violence, and so on. But most of all, you will very quickly sense her genuine and deep-seated concern about boys and helping these humans become happy, healthy, and productive. So I'm so happy to have you here today. Welcome, Jen. I may need to replay that for myself when I am full of self-doubt and wondering what I'm doing in the world and if I am making an impact. That was beautiful, Brayden. Well, thank you. It's it's very true. Um, so it, it has the virtue of being, being true. So it was, it was easy to do. So... Um, I, we have so much to talk about and I'm, I'm excited. We, I just, there's so many things. So I want to just jump right in if we may. Um, yeah. And actually in real parent teacher conferences, it's always kind of hard to start because you want to spend time. You're like, Hey, how are the kids? How are you doing? And, and, but all of a sudden the time's gone. So, um, I'm going to try to just, we're going to just plow right ahead. Um, let me ask a question that may be just the elephant in the room for some people. And so let's, yeah. let's get this out there now. Um, we know there's a lot of problems that girls face. Like it, it, it's not easy to be a girl. I've seen that as a teacher, as a dad. We've we've been hearing just very recently this summer about the impact that social media has had on the the inner lives, the, the self concept of of, uh, of girls. It's it's really really tough right now for them. So, given all that, Jen, why should we be thinking about boys? This is where I think that my position is unique and I have a bit of an advantage because I, I am a girl. I am female. I Yes, it is tough to be a girl. And it certainly hasn't gotten any easier since I was one. Social media did not make that easier for people. Um, and so absolutely, girls face challenges. Absolutely, we need to pay attention to that. One thing being the parent of boys has taught me is that boys also face gender-related challenges. I naively didn't know that. I did not appreciate that until I had sons. And so that that attuned me to seeing the world a bit through their eyes and seeing what they experience. And so, yes, while there is research highlighting, you know, the negative impact of social media on girls and body image and self-concept, it's true for boys also. Um, but you may not know that if that's not something that you are looking for, because it tends to not get as much press. So boys also struggle with body image after being up, after being exposed to influencers, except for boys. A lot of times it's this desire to be, you know, more buff, built, muscular. Boys struggle with that as much as girls. There has been a um, massive increase in recognition of eating disorders and um, body image concerns amongst boys. Boys also experience depression and anxiety at least as much as girls. And again, that doesn't necessarily get the same attention. And part of it is because so often our mental conceptions of what depression, anxiety, even eating disorders look like have traditionally been framed around what they look like in girls in females. And so a depressed boy may not say that he's sad. He may not say he's hopeless. That might not be how he conceptualizes what he's feeling. He may be feeling hopeless, but not have that word for it. He may well be presenting with rage or anger or irritability. And girls, by the way, can also present those ways. I can definitely present those ways. 
but because this isn't what the instruments historically measure um we don't have great data and then our our lens has been very focused on girls issues pretty much my whole life i was i was born in the early 70s and that was needed that was necessary but if you don't shift your focus you're not going to see what's going on over here and i think we have to look in two places at least at the same time so uh, oh gosh so much there i let me say too mm -hmm. I, if, correct me if i'm wrong i am so bad at like quant i still use my fingers like i only can do math that ends in like zero and fives so i'm not yeah those are the easy ones so but i think that that you have all these figures in your book correct i mean like you you actually outline like what the the rates are and and the the ranges and and all these kind of quantitative numerical things are, are documented in your book so I just want to put that out there. This is more than just sort of a, I don't know, a feeling or something like that. There's, there's data that backs Wait, this. Up. So for instance, um, a, a big news story earlier this year was data from the most recent youth risk behavior survey, a national survey came out and there were multiple articles highlighting these increases in depression and suicidal ideation among girls. That was indeed reflected in the data. The data did not show as big of an increase for boys. Only because I've been in this space for a long time did I know there is other data, equally recent, showing that boys have experienced a massive increase in suicide, which seems pretty relevant to this conversation. So right. the male rate of suicide, for instance, is four times that of females. That does not mean we should not take seriously females' depression or anxiety. It means we also have to include our boys in our concern. Four times the 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 four male times rate, not ideation, but this is actually the rate, is four times exactly that of their exactly. Peers. That is, that is stunning. So I, you know, when you talked about how, as long as you remember, kind of we've been focusing on much needed. I mean, let's let's acknowledge there was so much that needed to happen. Um, to focus on women and girls. I, I remember yes. I was little, pretty little and watching Sesame Street. There was, and it's still in my head. I can still remember it. There was this really great little group of puppets and they were all females and they were all in, like, I remember one was dressed as a doctor and one was dressed as an astronaut. And Women can fly way up high on trapezes. Women can be roller skaters. Women can help to find cures for diseases. Women can hunt alligators. Pilots and poets fully swim in two. Look at the things that we women can do. We can be clowns. We can be cooks we can be bus drivers we can write books just look around you it's easy to see there's nothing we women can't be like it was this and it was wonderful and it stuck in my mind now i bring that up because so there's little you know five-year-old brayden watching that in the in the 70s the really early 70s and you have an interesting anecdote in your book and it's really, it's from a friend of mine who I didn't know you quoted, but his name is Jim DeVivo. And Jim- Of course you two are connected. I we, love that. I think maybe he heard about your book through something I put on my, anyway, Jim talks about an anecdote and I, I want to be careful to not get the details wrong, but he has a young son 
and the young son was watching TV with them. And I think it might've been public TV, but I, I don't remember that for sure. It was children's. I think program. it was, I think it was Disney channel, Disney but. And the boy said, gosh, can't boys do anything? And Jim was like, of course. And he and his wife were surprised because in their world, the imperative had always been the need uh, to help advance equity for girls. But for this little boy who was a couple years old, who was not, um, was responding to the world as it is now around him, he did not see himself even really being reflected or represented in this particular entertainment. And, you know, I, I, I don't want to get too far into the weeds in that, but it's an interesting anecdote, kind of mine of what I remembered as we started to see the women's movement grow and his, and I, you know, what, what this little boy is experiencing. Um, so we do need to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. At, at least in theory, we should be able to say that both boys and girls matter. Since writing the book, I have since run across multiple people whose children have asked them if boys can be doctors. Yeah. I'm because sure. they have never seen a boy doctor. Right. Since I was little, since you were little, you know, there has been this push and there's been a massive increase in the amount of females in medicine and a lot of pediatricians and family doctors are female so a lot of kids that's all they see and for those of us who are adults right now like it feels like these shifts just happened right it feels like it just happened so it's mind-boggling to realize that to you know a four or five year old boy he may not know that boys can be doctors unless you talk about that unless he sees that right i think that's a really important point and again, I, I sometimes we have these discussions um, that just, well, and actually you and I talked about this, but after there was a little bit of attention, I think it was to the male suicide rate this summer. Um, and it got, I don't know, it got a little bit of play for a fairly short time. Like it, it didn't seem like it really got out there too much, but there was an article in a prominent national newspaper and basically, it was like, okay, fine, we've talked about boys, but now we really need to get back to girls. Um, Don't forget was, about the girls. That was very much, and, and actually, that's a, I'm paraphrasing, and admittedly, my voice took on a little bit of a, a little sarcastic twinge there, but that really was the tone and, and the content of the piece. Like, okay, we've talked about the boys, we've got to talk about the girls. Um, I think we all understand that in the real world, you know, in real difficult situations, there may be times when we're just, I mean, you might have to prioritize someone's needs. I mean, that's going to happen, unfortunately, but at least theoretically, I've been struck over the years by how many people will resist even the theoretical notion that we ought to care equally about and be attentive to boys and girls. That, um, I'm surprised by the resistance I hear to that pretty basic proposition. It is interesting because the more you dig into that and you look into that, because you want like, why, where is this coming from? And why does it seem so strong and so powerful and so widespread? Like what's beneath that? And certainly some of it is as easy as it is to say, theoretically, we can care about two things at once and what helps boys helps girls and vice versa. In the real world, there are limited pots of money, resources, and time. 
Right. So there's that. But I think deeper than that, maybe evolutionarily, and this is me, you know, kind of guessing here, but as a species, we tend to hold a lot of care and concern and sense of protection for girls. We, we think that girls need that, that protection around them and that extra boost and support. And it's almost like it's this fragile egg that we have to carefully create the conditions for. We don't treat boys like that. We treat boys from before birth as, you know, tough, self-reliant, get out there, brush yourself off. And certainly some of this is our cultural stereotyping, what we've all learned, what we've all been taught. The irony of this approach is that when you look into the science, when you look at biology and physiology, males are physiologically, biologically um, more fragile. So more prone to health conditions, more affected by negative conditions, by things like um, if a female is pregnant with a male fetus and that female has an infection, a, a male fetus is more likely to be harmed by that than a female fetus. And that persists throughout the lifespan. So that's sometimes why you see data that will say things like um, boys tend to struggle more and have worse outcomes after a divorce in the family than girls. Girls biologically have more resilience and we parent absolutely opposite from that notion that's a really interesting point that's a very interesting point let's also just acknowledge that everything we talk about is we're talking about obviously you have a huge sample and we're 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 making characterizations or generalizations as one has to um about you know, maybe the the median or, or you know, but there's a big yes. delta here. There's a big spread. So y- there will al- always be exceptions to anything anyone ever says about boys, girls, but really almost anything at all. So we'll, we'll acknowledge yes. that really, you know, someone may have an a- anecdote that that is different, but that's my understanding as well. And I, I certainly, that tracks with what I see um, as a teacher, quite frankly, um, mm. that that very much fits in with kind of the the general outlines of my experience. One, let's talk for a minute about, so as I was reading through the book and as I've read your work, I, I've kind of come up with five buckets, we'll say, um, the five S's of, of where there's some real pain points for boys, which doesn't mean there's not also pain points for girls. This is not an either or, but we're talking about boys because that's your book today. So I think of these kind of S's as school, um, you know, stereotyping, uh, mm-hmm. socialization, sex, and social media. And I include in social media everything, online activities of any kind. So we're stretching that. Um, I, I guess, first of all, is that a fair, um, is that a fair synopsis or, or encapsulation of, of, of what you've found? Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, I, I love that you looked at my work and were able to put it in buckets that, that I hadn't. And I really appreciate that. I might, I might borrow this, Brayden. Um, I think these are also five buckets of great concern for adults with children. Here and so that. understanding, understanding what are some of the unique challenges and opportunities 
for boys in those spaces can help us be more effective assisting our children whether you're a parent, teacher, grandparent, community member in, in growing, because these are things that are going to affect all children, all of them. You make the point frequently, Jen, I, I think in everything I've ever read or heard you say, you you say this a lot, and I think it's important. I'm glad you repeat it because I think it's worthy of, of repeating. That is almost anything we do to help boys is probably also going to help girls. Right. Can I mean, you, there's can you unpack that a little and ex- maybe just dig into that a bit. So first of all, um, when boys and we could apply this to any group, but when boys are well supported, they are going to do well. And when they are doing well, they are more, excuse me, they are less likely to create problems or distractions um, that or to harm other people. So when boys are well supported, they are less likely to be an impediment to somebody else's growth or support. So that's number one. And I think that's really important. The second one is that a lot of the things that we know from research and anecdotal experience are good for boys are also good for girls. And and, and a very common one that a lot of people may be thinking of. Um, humans in general, do better when they can learn in a way that they're moving and they're engaged and they're not just sitting in a seat, which has very long been the model of education. Boys tend to suffer under that model more than girls do. Girls, whether due to socialization or some innate biology or a combination of both, seem better able to adapt and thrive in spite of let's call it forced sitting for many hours, but giving girls the opportunity to get up and move around and be creative and engage with the material in other ways is also good for their development. That's, that's very true, especially because, you know, earlier we talked about how depression, anxiety can manifest in different ways for boys and girls. Um, when when we have like an ADHD diagnosis, very often the, the boys, it's pretty obvious. And it's there's a lot of emphasis on the age, the, the hyperactivity. Yes. Girls who have ADHD, and they do, um, tend to be quieter and more under the radar and, and tend to be daydreaming and distracted. So if everyone were, say, moving around more, and if if learning in a hypothetical classroom was more active and hands-on, that would actually help the girl who has ADHD as well as the boy who has ADHD. And again, frankly, it would probably help everyone because um, just because you can do something or adapt to it, um, the fact that girls have adapted to this doesn't necessarily make it optimal either. Like it's, it's great that they've been able to thrive, but it it may not still be the best way. So um, I think that's, I, I like that. You also talk a lot about, you know, how when we break down stereotypes for anyone, that's kind of a win for everyone. Like the, just the act of trying to break down, you know, you have to be this or do this because of your chromosomes yes. or, your, you know, whatever your physiology, you you must be this and do this. Um, you spend a lot of time talking about some of the ways that we socialize boys into what some have called the man box, um, but this mm-hmm. sort of rigid notion of what masculinity means can you talk a bit about uh how we tend to do this and and kind of what we're doing to the boys 
Sure. This is something that is often seen from birth, and they have confirmed it with research studies, you know, where they've taken uh, infant children. And if you've ever seen, you know, a, a, a baby, like if they have clothes on, you really can't tell the difference between a boy or a girl, which is why a lot of parents will put bows in their hair or put a truck shirt on. Um, if they take the same infant, dress it up differently, tell the adults, you know, boy or girl, they handle that infant differently. We like tend physically to, hold um, it differently physically hold it differently, tend to be more cuddly and protective of female infants than male infants, um, tend to respond more quickly to the cries of a female than a male. And I just saw a study, um, I'd have to dig it up, but basically somebody did this with AI, like they didn't use actual infants. They used um, AI simulations, you know, that look like humans and, and made it uh, where you can't tell gender by the look, but then assigned male or female and people interacted with them differently interesting so so that's part of it another part that's so so common and it's been told to boys you know for generations you know this whole man up tough it out get back out there um when they get hurt when they are in pain and yes this happens to girls some too but it's very 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 prevalent with boys i'm curious to hear you know your experience with this because i know speaking to you you are a man who works in and loves the theater which is not something that uh, uh most boys are socialized to and you probably got some pretty strong messages saying that's not something you should be interested in yeah i i'm a yeah yes i am a, a middle-aged white guy who does uh, musical theater with kids and i write young adult and children's books so my my path has definitely been a little different way but yeah i mean absolutely and and still um you know it it does just um oh the lights in my sorry the lights in my classroom have a motion sensor and they just went off <laughs> um, so i have to stretch every now and then at any rate yes like i, I have people have generally been very kind to me but yeah it, it is different and and there is always kind of this um awareness of that um I generally, if I'm meeting someone for the first time, I don't usually go into details about what I do. I just say I'm a teacher, but I don't go into a lot more detail because it just, um, it's, it's just kind of uncommon and different enough that it seems to automatically put up a bit of a wall. And when I'm trying to get to know someone, I'm, I want to focus as much as I can on what we have in common. So yeah, I mean, it is a very different path. And even though people have been kind and I, I don't, you know, have not experienced any kind of real meanness or persecution. Um, it's just a little different for sure. And that continues mm -hmm. now. So it's, a, that's a really interesting point. I, I can think of with my own kids. I, I do think I probably, you know, I, well, I know I did. I, I played rough with the boys. Although I think my daughter, I probably was fairly rough, but yeah, I was always more protective of her in any situation than they. And and I think probably they may maybe needed my protection a bit more sometimes. Um, yeah. Like, like you said, this kind of inverted um, level of, of what we, when we need to intervene and, and what we feel like we need to protect them from. Um, so I, I, this is, I'm jumping back a little bit, but I just had a thought mm -hmm. that, that I thought was yeah. interesting. You know, for so long, the only studies and research, like medical research, were men. So, like the symptoms of a heart attack, 
I don't know, yeah. several years ago, whenever it came out, they realized that, you know, a woman has a heart attack in a different way. Like the symptoms are different. So therefore you can't just go by what the, the symptoms of a man are. Same thing like crash test dummies were like basically met, made at male proportions. So there's all these things, but we've done exactly opposite of that with things like anxiety and depression mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. kind of emotional um, duress and also maybe some internal needs where we've we've flipped that and so we have focused on what anxiety and depression look like in girls and then we kind of assume that that's what and so when boys manifest those same symptoms we don't we don't recognize them and I I know we already talked about that but it just that kind of just flipped in my head mm -hmm. while we we're talking is that a fair characterization do you think yeah I think it is and um let me think what I was going to say here. Um, we may not recognize it. And I think part of why we, we went in that direction, likely due to socialization, uh, a girl or a woman may be more inclined to express. Yes. I'm sad. I feel hopeless. Um, to show those emotions because they have grown up in an environment where those are quote unquote, acceptable emotions. And if boys and men are coming up in an environment where they learn it is not safe to share those emotions, right? they are going to put up a facade and they're not going to let you see that. Really, all humans, we do what we can to protect ourselves psychologically and physically. And so if you have learned through looking around that it is not cool or okay for guys to show like tears or to say they're disappointed, or to say I feel ashamed, they're not going to do that. So it, I I think one of the maybe as we think about now we've talked about the problem, as we think about maybe okay, so a parent is hearing this thinking okay I, I'm on board what do I need to do? It occurs to me, and it seems that maybe one of the most important things to do is to encourage and help your son to be able to talk about what he's feeling and thinking. Um, and even if nothing else, if he could express his feelings and learn to name them and say, I am really angry, I'm really sad, I am really hurt, whatever it is that, and, and honestly, I'm not sure that, well, this is a stereotype and perhaps it's unfair. I will never be as vocal about stuff like that as many women I know but but that doesn't mean that there's zero either like um exactly i mean maybe a boy isn't going to talk to you as much we kind of joke about teenage boys and they get in the car and you say oh how was your day like Bleh. but they may never be super loquacious and they may never say lots of details but with careful teaching and coaching and reinforcement you can get them to open up a little bit more or, or i lot. think the biggest <laughs> thing yeah Yes, there we cannot expect boys to communicate like middle-aged women, okay? So moms, <laughs> that is a really important message for you because your boy, even if you have modeled appropriate expression of emotions and full expression of emotions and even if you have from little on named th named emotions like, you know, fear, shame, disappointment, excitement, jubilation, all of those things, he is still not going to communicate in the same way as you. There are what seem to be some biological underpinnings for women 
females tend to process emotions more through talking and conversation and males tend to do that more towards taking action and doing yeah, yeah. so keep okay. that in mind because just because you're not hearing words doesn't mean that emotional processing isn't going on so use your greater emotional facility and your greater emotional you know your eq to to dig a little and do some extra work to help the the non-communicative or less communicative being <laughs> in your in your minivan or your car or your kitchen table open up a little bit more it's so important i think as parents we can simplify this way down you can you can even take out thinking about boys thinking about girls yeah. what this really is about is looking at the human being before you and making room for and respecting their emotional experiences so when emotions happen which they will because life is life when those emotions happen you can help name them if the if the child can't and you can talk about them you can name your emotions kind of narrate what's going on inside of you because like one of the reasons our kids don't know that we parents have feelings is because we don't let them see them. Yeah. We don't tell them some of our stuff. Your child should certainly not be your confidant, but you can share things like, you know, this happened at work and I was really disappointed and I was having a hard time, you know, getting over that. So I went for a walk on my lunch break, things like that. I love that. I love the idea of, of I, I wish I, I will have to write this down when I go back and transcribe this, but, but um, engaging respectfully with the human in front of you. That's a, a really wonderful thought. Um, and, and again, yeah. that's one of those things that, like you said, that really supersedes any, any identity, any, yes. uh, you know, physiology, emotion, biology, whatever that just, that really is a wonderful thing. I would add too, um, for, for dads who are um, listening, I, and I think, you know, my sons, I think, do far more of this. Their generation is already doing this. So you, you might already be doing this, dads, but to the extent you can model appropriate um, emotional regulation. So first of all, not losing your temper, even at things like, I think sometimes we think it's okay to, you know, we know we shouldn't lose our temper at our child or our spouse, but you know, losing your temper at the fo a football game or something like that. I, I think anytime we can model emotional regulation as men, that that does a huge service for our boys and also for our girls, because girls will take, uh, you know, we'll assume that's kind of a baseline. Um, but the other thing is, is learning to talk about your feelings and it doesn't have to be super long, deep and engaged. You can just say, I am so mad right now, or gosh, that really that really hurt. That that really got me. Um, I think small things like that, that dads could yes. do have a huge impact. Is that resonating? Tremendous. Tremendous. Because especially as boys are getting older, the tween years, the teen years, they are looking to men for how to be men. They look to their dads, their uncles, whatever role models they see. And so I can emote and talk about emotional expression and until I am blue in the face and it, it helps, but it doesn't mean as much yeah. as when it comes from the guys around them, they need to see from other guys that it is okay to have emotions. It's okay to express emotions. And listen, 
we're all going to lose it sometime. Lose it at the football game, you know, lose it when you're working on the home improvement project and you screw something up and you can't figure out what happened. Yeah, you might lose it. And then you can also talk about it later and say, whew, uh, I really, I was stressed with this. I lost my temper. I'm so sorry. And and model how to make amends as well. I love that. Uh, a guidance counselor I know is big on just on parents owning their mistakes. Like just own it. And, and then you're modeling a whole wonderful array of, of important life skills, you know, making amends, like you said, and acknowledging it. I know we're short on time and there's so many things I still would love to talk to you about. Um, we're, we're still, we're still okay. I just checked to see if I had an update. Okay, great. So I'm going to, I, I want to say something that I have gleaned from your work and you tell me if it's um, accurate or fair. And then I just love to maybe have you talk about anything that you think is important that I haven't asked yet. Um, so <laughs> my sense in from a, a long time in education, um, like I'll think like I'm, I think I've been in schools now for something like 37 years. It's been a while. Um, being a dad, being a man, um, it, it seems to me that very often when I have seen girls or women have problems, the response is very, uh, there's often a sympathy in a sense, okay, we need to do something. We've got to fix this. Obviously not everyone. There is terrible misogyny and all kinds of retrograde things. So, but I think institutions and people of good faith will essentially say, okay, we need to fix this. This is so sad. Um, when we have comparable problems, I feel like boys are kind of pathologized, like their problems become pathologies and there's sort of no empathy. And it's sort of like, well, they're idiots. They should stop doing that. Um, I, I read something like that was very kind of pretty quite dismissive about suicide rates it was like well they need to stop being men because men are dumb and they need to stop being toxic if they're committing mm -hmm. suicide like it was a really harsh yeah um yep. i was shocked at the tone this actually is another manifestation of the dynamic you talked about about the way we interact with with boys and girls as babies even so give us some can you give us some tips for parents for teachers um, boys can be frustrating. They're energetic. They're way more energetic than we are. They're rambunctious. They push boundaries. You know, this is why we have many of the They do stupid stuff. Of they course they do stupid stuff. So how, how do we learn and how can we as adults learn to respond with a little more empathy and not by just punishing, blaming, rolling our eyes, or, or even just, you know, yeah. a lot of names we call boys and what they do. So really good question um first we have to acknowledge and look at that issue and recognize that culturally uh socially we do tend to treat our boys very differently than our girls even when the offense or the behavior is the same and i won't go into all of it you can read more in the book but there is data that shows that um, when boys and girls do the same, you know, unwelcome behavior in the classroom, boys are more likely to be punished harshly for that. This goes through to our judicial system. Um, males and females who commit similar crimes, males are much more likely to be sentenced harshly. Um, 
people have also done this with, you know, psychological thought experiments, again, sort of making up literal like shapes on a, on a computer and whether they identify it as male or female, how they respond is different. They're much more likely to assign blame and to want to punish heavily the male shape. Wow. So keeping that in mind um, can help you pause and, and, and take some breaths before uh, taking your first reaction, which may very well be to blame and punish. Note, I am not saying that consequences should not be part of the equation. A boy who hits somebody, who hurts somebody, he has to be responsible for that behavior. He has to take um, responsibility for that. He has to make amends. But punishing him harshly is not necessarily the way to do that. So step one is recognizing that this is an issue so that we can kind of slow our own reactions and, and our own thinking. Um, I think, this is my observation, I think that we adults have an increased tendency to come down hard on boys lately because we are so concerned with this project of raising good guys. We are so concerned that we are going to raise horribly disrespectful, misogynistic, um, racist boys that if we see any hint of this, we want to come down hard on it. But the truth is, is that all boys, all children are going to say and do very many hurtful, harmful, disrespectful things as they're growing. That is part of it. So we have to give our boys some grace. They are growing and developing human beings. They're going to screw up. They're going to learn. A boy calling somebody a terrible name when he's 11 does not mean he's going to be a terrible human being. Um, I think it, it can also be helpful to... No, I'm sorry. I think there... it can also be... I'm sorry. Sorry, go ahead. We all have so much to say. It can also be helpful to keep in mind, we want our boys to treat people with respect and with empathy. Pretty much every parent I know agrees with that. We have to show them what respect and empathy looks like. Not just to other people, but to them. And so what that means is slowing your role, taking a minute, listening to them listening to them, listening to their side of the story, finding out what was going on in their head, um, looking at situations from their perspective. And let me tell you, if you think that boys are not aware of these differences in treatment, they are. So many elementary school boys, and I bet you've heard this too, so many elementary school boys will come home and say things like, the teacher likes the girls better than the boys, or the girls, they can talk all the time and they never get in trouble. They see this. Acknowledge their concerns. Let them know we care about them. Listen to them. This is how we help them develop empathy, excuse me, empathy and respect. Let me own a bad parenting mistake I made on that note. I yeah. had a conversation with my boys, two of them especially, who went to school at the school I work, and I blew it. I said, well, you got to understand, guys, that, you know, you're really noisy and loud, and, you know, maybe the girls are whispering a little more quietly, or, you know, how many, maybe the girl get didn't get in trouble the first time she talked, but how many warnings did you, it was 
now I think that was probably accurate, but it wasn't helpful at the time. I really should have said, I am so sorry. None of us like feeling like that. Tell me more about that. And then the next day I should have said, Hey, I've been thinking, <laughs> um, can we talk a little bit more about that? And and then I should have, you know, then I should have talked about the other factors and this and that. And, but I should have listened better. And I didn't. And I know that, like, I know we're supposed to do that. Um, but that- sure. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We all do those things, partly because, you know, we care about our kids. We want them to see, hey, uh, guys, your point of view is not the only one. Like, there is another side here. There's that. Um, and frankly, like, we're tired. We're hungry. We're trying to make supper. All the things, too. I do not always respond in the thoughtful, reflectful, tell me more about that thing. Cause life, Braden, you know, cause life. Um, but thinking about those things, thinking back on those things can help us do it differently, at least sometimes. And that matters. Um, I'm going to, and I know we're, we are hard up on your, your time, but let me tell a good thing I've done. And then, but I'm telling this for a reason. So parents who are listening, let me tell you one thing I started doing that has made a huge difference. When I first started teaching, I tried to be really strict. I was a big fan of Professor McGonagall from Harry Potter. I was going to keep order in my classroom and da-da. And so when someone, you know, made a noise or distracted, it was a point off, no, no argument, nothing. I, I did that for longer than I'd like to admit. Now my rule, I did this several years ago. I changed my rule. My rule now is... If you are misbehaving, I will, you'll see me look at you and a little check mark. You can come after class and tell me anything you want. You can argue with me. You can explain to me what I didn't see, anything at all. But we're not going to do it in the middle of class. But you have unlimited permission, (laughs) my attention. I have to say that that has changed my entire approach to teaching because almost every time there is more that, than I saw. Sometimes it's not, you know, it's just that I missed another kid bugging them too, but, but not right. fairly infrequently though, there is something mitigating exculpatory or just, I didn't see it even though I was watching. So yeah. my, for everyone as you're listening to this parents is just listen (laughs) give your boys a chance to tell you what they think why they think something is wrong why they think you're wrong if you can start kind of a similar policy of like i will have absolute limits but i am always here to discuss those with you um i have found that's changed my relationship and i don't do it perfectly but it's changed my energy my dynamic in class and my relationship with students but it also makes me kind of cringe to think of all the uh, interactions before i started doing that where they never got to tell me what the mitigating circumstance was and so let's try to give boys at least a chance to share what they're experiencing You know, you said something so important there. You said, give the boys a chance to tell you. And we have this stereotype, the social picture in our heads that boys don't talk. Boys aren't communicative. Boys don't tell us what's going on with them. But how much of that is because we don't listen? 
And when somebody has shown you time and time again that they don't listen to you or they don't take seriously what you say, you stop trying. I know I do that in relationships and I am a woman in her in midlife. I have lots of life experience. So from the time you're little, we are not listening to or taking seriously our boys' experiences of their world. And trust me, they know what is going on in their lives better than we do. If we don't take that seriously, they will withdraw from us into their own little worlds and they will navigate it with their companions, which often is other similarly undeveloped, still developing boys. And that's where things can get messy. We've all seen that happen. Uh, yeah, yeah. Immature guys leading others down the path. Like this is not who you want to be your guide for how to behave and get through life. Friends, great, wonderful. But they do need the balancing um, wisdom and they so need unconditional love and acceptance. Well, Jennifer L.W. Fink, thank you so much. That was a perfect note to end on. I don't want to say anything and, and risk ruining that wonderful uh, <laughs> uh, summary of all of this. Again, the book is called Building Boys, Raising Great Guys in a World that Misunderstands Males. The Substack, which I also highly recommend, is the Building Boys Bulletin. Thank you, Jen, for joining us. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. I'd like to make this a regular thing. We'll see if I can make the tech work. But if you have ideas for guests or topics you'd like to hear about, please let me know. Until then, happy parenting. You have got this.